So our passage today is from John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33. It says, Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? little snarky response from Jesus, little Jesus sass for Pilate there. But Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world. Jesus is reflecting back upon his own birth, upon you know, these stories that we remembered on Christmas Eve. He's, he's standing before Pilate at his trial, and he says, For this reason I was born, for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? We never get an answer from Jesus right there. And that's, that's kind of what we wish we did. It's like, oh, Jesus, like bring it home for us. He doesn't. But he leaves us to ponder and to think for ourselves. What is truth? Well, truth is this gospel that we will continue to talk about this morning. You know, as humans, we're, we're so fascinated by stories of royalty. Of course, there's the the Disney fairy tales and the Disney princesses. You know, you might not have your own favorite Disney princess. You may not want to admit it, but you might have your own. It might be Cinderella or Snow White or Beauty from Beauty and the Beast or, or Belle from Beauty and the Beast, that's her name. But it's not just these children's story that kind of compel our imagination. You know, there's, we see the success in shows like the Netflix series The Crown, if you're a, someone who watches that. And then the one that uh, I think they made more recent, I think it's a Netflix one. I haven't seen it, but I've just, I've heard about it and in the news. It's the documentary of Harry and, and Meghan, and I don't really know all the details with that. But I know it's gained some attention because people are fascinated by this kind of royal drama. This whole idea of royalty sparks our interest. And at least the British royal family has had more press Lately, with the passing of Prince Philip, and then more recently, Queen Elizabeth. And now all eyes are on King Charles and, and his likely successor, Prince William. But it's just this whole idea of royalty that just fascinates us. For better or for worse, like, royalty, we know, is something that naturally, you know, just by birth, comes with privilege and prestige and power. It's almost a birthright. It's one's inherited status. It's, it's their, and, and all, along with their status, it's, it's wealth and it's fame and it's this authority that they have. Well, the idea of Jesus' royalty has its roots in the Old Testament. Even back to the time of King David when God makes the promise to David. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Now that promise, it's partially fulfilled in David's immediate son and successor, King Solomon. And then the subsequent kings that followed King Solomon. But that promise was not fully fulfilled. These successors were not the ultimate fulfillment for God's promise to David. Because we can fast forward even in Israel's history to the time of the Babylon, when the Babylonians conquered and destroyed Jerusalem when there was no real king. There was no real kingdom at that point. That time of exile left the people you know, who, who wanted to see God's promises come to fulfillment it left them kind of with this identity crisis. We have no king. We have no kingdom. What about this promise that God made to David? His throne didn't seem to last forever, as God said. But God had a greater plan. And the book of Isaiah that we've been using as a guide during the season of Advent, it's important Because it gives us a glimpse, it gives us an understanding into the message of what God's greater plan is. Isaiah speaks of the judgment that will fall upon the nation for its idolatry and disobedience. It'll speak about Jerusalem's destruction and and ultimately what leads up to the exile. But it also gives a message of hope that God will redeem and will restore his people and his kingdom. And it's in this message of hope that we learn about this one who is to come. This king who is to come. This Messiah that is to come. And even though the nation was going to be cut down like, or cut down to a stump, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Or these words from Isaiah 9. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. This son to be born, this king, this ruler, is going to come to restore the kingdom. And Isaiah refers to this individual, as you read on in the book of Isaiah, as the servant of the Lord. And without going into much detail on this, I'm not going to get into the weeds, but I do want to make mention of what we call the servant songs, uh, which are found in the book of Isaiah. And there's four servant songs identified in the book of Isaiah, and you can jot them down if you want, read them in more depth later if you'd like. But essentially, these portions of Isaiah describe this special figure, this person who will take on the title of the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word that means the anointed one, or in the Greek language, it's the word for Christ. And the servant of the Lord is the one who's going to restore the people. It's going to be a light to the Gentiles. But the way in which this servant Messiah will accomplish this is not what we would typically expect. You know, we would typically expect a king to come in and to rule and to reign and to exert power. 
But as we see in these words from Isaiah 53, one of the parts of the servant songs, Isaiah writes, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The servant is going to accomplish this restoration, not through power, but through suffering. Isaiah describes how he will be despised and rejected and even killed, but that his death is for the sake of redeeming the people from their sin to restoring that broken relationship with God. This brings us back to the gospel according to John, back to our scene of Jesus before Pilate. Because after what I just read a moment ago, it says that after Pilate had said this, He went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. He said to the Jews, here is your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to, let, or to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. Despised, rejected, beaten, and killed, just as Isaiah had described about the Messiah the servant of the Lord, so many years earlier. You know, when someone becomes a king, there's often a a ritual coronation that occurs. A coronation is the ceremony by which someone is crowned and assumes the the full responsibilities of their royal office. And if you want to take note in your calendar, I saw that Saturday, May 6th, is scheduled to be the coronation of King Charles And I imagine that that day is going to be rich in pomp and in pageantry, like coronations of kings and queens who have have gone before him. But by contrast, when we consider Jesus, our king, his coronation took place on a cross. 
And he was not adorned with a crown of jewels and gold, but adorned with a crown of thorns and a blood-soaked purple robe. Jesus' coronation was for our salvation. And Jesus bore our sins on the cross. But that's not the end of the story. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God raised Jesus from the dead, and when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did so to sit on his heavenly throne. As the author of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, our King. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our prophet, our priest, our King. And God raised Jesus from the dead so that we too might inherit his glory and have new life in Christ. Well, today marks the beginning of a new year. And some people like to use the new year as a, an opportunity, a time to make resolutions, which, which isn't really you know, a bad endeavor. We're just not usually very good at keeping to those resolutions, are we? But I might suggest this. If, if you are someone who, um, you know, takes on New Year's resolutions, maybe do this before you make that resolution. Consider reflecting on this question first. What things do you allow to rule over your life? What things do you allow to rule over your life? I invite you to spend some time with that. Take an opportunity today or tomorrow, whenever you have some free time, and just spend some time with that question. What things do you allow to rule over your life? And then whatever answer, answers you may come up with, here's my follow-up question for you. Will you let Christ rule in its place? I know I've been using quite a bit of scripture today, but I wanted to end with this reading from 1 Timothy. And I'm doing so because this is, this is a, 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 an opportunity where Paul is taking time to write to Timothy to give him some final kind of words of encouragement. And I think it's a good message for us as we begin this new year and as we think about how Christ is our king. So this comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 11. I'll end with this. But as for you, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Friends, let's pray together.